From CPR News and KRCC, this is A Day in the Life of a Restaurant, a Colorado Matters special. I'm Ryan Warner. And I'm Sarah Mulholland, business reporter here at CPR. The pandemic has ravaged restaurants. Workers are hard to find. So are ingredients. So is glassware. We have water pitchers that we put on the table, and that's something that we've had to stop doing in recent weeks because they break and we can't replace them. So the customers are like, you're just becoming lazy or inconsistent. And we're like, no, we literally just can't get them. Today, aspects of running a restaurant you might have never considered, like glassware. And the roller coaster costs of raw ingredients. I just noticed garlic is very, very expensive. <laughs> Looks like 121 for a case. Usually that's in the 60 or $70 range. It's a day in the life of Zomo, Asian and American eatery in Englewood. How it's managed to survive in a pandemic As you enjoy the gifts of family and friends during this holiday season, all of us here at Colorado Public Radio would like to thank members, businesses, and volunteers who are such a vital part of the work we do every day. Colorado Public Radio wouldn't be able to do what it does or be here for you without you. Thank you for being part of the Colorado Public Radio community and on behalf of listeners all over Colorado, thank you for your support. Happy Holidays. It's always been true that when you sit down at a restaurant... Hello, how are you guys doing tonight? We're well. My name is Sheila. I'm going to be taking care of you folks this evening. You don't see all the effort that gets your food to the table. Have we ever been to Zoma before? Okay, wonderful. So you already know the rundown on the menu. But in the pandemic, there's even more juggling than usual going on behind the scenes. So that you can clink that cocktail, savor that starter, enjoy that entree. May I get anything started for you guys? Drinks, appetizers? I'm Ryan Warner, host of Colorado Matters. And I'm Sarah Mulholland, business reporter here at CPR. And this is a day in the life of a restaurant. A story of pandemic struggles, shortages, and perseverance. Maybe you caught that this restaurant's name is Zomo. The owners describe it as an Asian and American eatery. It's just south of Denver and Englewood on a major thoroughfare. South Broadway. The owners are Ryan Anderson and Alicia Davey. They've been a couple for almost 14 years. And when they met, there were fireworks. Literally. There was a fireworks tent that was near my house. And she and her family were running it. That's Ryan. And here's Alicia. He came to check out at the register with a 25-cent firework. <laughs> big, yep. big spender. Yeah, I was in high school. I was cheap. <laughs> I asked him how long he and the girl he was with had been together, and he's like, that's my sister. And I was like, all right, this is my chance. So I gave him a bunch of free fireworks. <laughs> yeah. We went and set them off 300 feet from the tent, which is the fire code. <laughs> They were both in high school, and Ryan came back for more fireworks. Yeah, my grandma was there when we were setting off fireworks, and Mm -hmm. I think um, my parents, I mean, everyone met him in the first day that I knew him, so he was pretty much part of the family early on. This is key because Alicia's family, who's Vietnamese-American, is really the culinary inspiration behind Zomo. Namely, her grandmother, Chi Nguyen. So do you um, have your recipes written down anywhere, or do you just have them all in your head? Up in my hair. (laughs) 
Zomo serves what they call home-style Asian food. Yellow curry is a favorite, taro root fries, and they specialize in pho, the Vietnamese noodle soup, which cooks in an impressive kettle. Grandma Chi speaks with me here through an interpreter. How big is that? Like how many gallons or? She's saying it's about 80 gallon. It's really big. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. This is a day in the life of a restaurant in the pandemic. And the day started long before the pho was simmering. Ryan, you took the early shift. I was around for dinner. When and where did you start? Well, Ryan Anderson told me to meet him bright and early, 7 a.m. at Restaurant Depot in Denver. I got there a little beforehand to check out the scene, gather Ambi, that's radio speak for the natural sound of a place, and I read some of the signs I saw on the building out loud. This is Ambi at Restaurant Depot, where restaurants shop. Lower prices on the items you buy every day. Now hiring. All positions available. That help wanted sign stuck out to me because we've heard so much, Sarah, about worker shortages in restaurants themselves. Seems like restaurant suppliers are in the same boat. And I'll talk more about the labor market later. Ryan pulled up in a small SUV, rear seats folded down to make space for whatever he was going to buy. We're grabbing some groceries early in the morning, trying to get some fresh produce, and then uh, we'll keep going to some of the Asian markets and pick up produce there and get back to the restaurant and start getting everything stocked. So, And this is an early start to a day that will include dinner service. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we work very long hours, um, but we try and stagger them so I'm not working like 6 a.m. every day. So, <laughs> What are you hoping to get specifically at Restaurant Depot today? Uh, let's see. Broccoli, lettuce, cucumbers, jalapenos, carrots, cabbage. They're dry goods like sugar, ketchup, sauces, things like that. How much do you think you'll spend today here? Probably between 500 and 1,000. Inflation is such a big issue right now. Did you guys talk at all about what's going on with food prices? Oh, yeah. Just wait till you hear about the price of garlic. Stay tuned. So, Sarah, we're going to end up visiting four different stores. And Ryan probably would have kept going. It's just that he ran out of room in his SUV, which made me wonder why he doesn't just have stuff delivered to Zomo, to the restaurant. We do have, like, suppliers who drop shipments, but a lot of times, like, especially right now, we're dealing with supply chain issues. So, you know, we have to sometimes get out and come to these local supply houses to get produce. And and sometimes it's because it's fresher or sometimes because of price. So there's a few different reasons why we actually go out and get the produce instead of getting it delivered. Ryan tells me there's also a shortage of delivery drivers. Now, he mentioned supply chain issues. Like what? Specifically for us, it's the Asian goods. There's there's a couple things like coconut milk and some of our soy sauces and seasonings that be, have become very, very difficult to find. And so it's kind of like however much space you have available, you try and buy as much as you can <laughs> if, you, if you find it. <laughs> Is there something that we might find that you would stock up on big time that would be the kind of mother load if you found it? Uh, the mother load would be coconut milk in large uh, canned form. It's, it's very difficult to find. 
I would say I've only seen it available maybe once or twice in the past three to four months. And what do you use the coconut milk for? Uh, we have a yellow curry that is our most popular dish. So that's, that's a big one for us. And that's why uh, I, I bought a pallet worth and a lot of it sitting at my house. So <laughs> just stocked up and made sure that we could get it through at least the winter. And have you heard about why it's so difficult to get? I mean, it's not like coconut stopped growing. Right. I mean, I think that, you know, there's obviously issues at the, you know, the port in California and, you know, also like those countries, if they go into lockdown, then that could delay shipments. So I just, um, yeah, I buy it whenever I see it. And every single time I'm here or I'm out of the, any of the other places that store it, I, um, I check. So that's, that's as best as we can do. What time did you get up this morning? Well, today's a little special because I had a bunch of other things I was trying to get done. So I haven't really slept today, but... Wait, you haven't slept at all? No, no. Sometimes I do that, but it's not always. Maybe <laughs> maybe once a month. You're a dad, too. Yeah, six-month-old. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Definitely enjoyable. I mean, I'm dead tired, like, all the time, but it's worth it. When you buy something like broccoli which obviously has a shelf life. How do you know just how much to buy? And do you wind up throwing out a lot of produce? And is that an equation that you've had to master over time? Definitely something that you have to dial in. I think it, it you know, it's always like a constant adjustment because, you know, well, for us, we're very fortunate, but we have just kept getting busier and busier every single week it's a constant movement of things and it does become tricky because sometimes you'll buy you know you'll say oh i need two cases of broccoli but then everybody orders broccoli wings and then you need three cases so you have to go run somewhere uh you know during dinner service or a day that you didn't plan to do any pickups or anything like that so oh so during dinner service if you run out of something you might go to the store to pick stuff up yeah yeah definitely i mean we I mean, not every place is going to do that, but we like to stay consistent and keep our products available for our customers. Now, the last time I checked, broccoli didn't have wings. Oh, broccoli wings. Oh, we, um, we just do like a, uh, a deep fried broccoli, uh, kind of battered, and they're actually really popular. So we have a couple different sauce ver variations for that, for that entree. We're going to go right into the fridge. It gets a little loud in here as well, but... Um, I've got kind of a list and boom, right off the bat, I can see something's out of stock. Looks like green onion. All right, so I've got two spring mix. Getting salad for tonight. Yeah, getting some spring mix. Always check the dates, try and get the freshest that you can. Make sure the expiration looks like you'll go through it in the same amount of time. Now you said right off the bat, green onions not in stock. What yeah. goes through your mind then when you realize that's the case? Um, usually it's, where's the place that I can pick those up? And uh, if not, then how, lo how long can I last before I have to get some? So is it one day? Is it two days? That's usually my time frame. <laughs> some garlic. That's a huge box of garlic. And looks like... Broccoli is out of stock, as I already figured. Like I said, they've been having difficulties with it for a while. 
geez, before the pandemic, we just took for granted that stuff would mostly be in stock. Yeah, and you can't even count on the stuff that is in stock, like the cilantro. The, the cilantro is looking a little sad. There's uh, just discoloration. You can just tell it's a little bit older. So I'll just skip over it if I know I have enough to get through for a couple days. Right. It's not, it's not just a question of whether they have it, but whether it's something that you'd want to present on a plate. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I can. That's what's nice about, you know, picking it up yourself is you do get some control over the product that you're picking. Whereas if you just get a drop of some, you know, they can just pick whatever box they choose and it might not be to your standard. I can identify with that. I mean, I started getting groceries delivered in the pandemic and the fruits and vegetables get dicey. Uh, the green peppers are looking a little sad as well. Some of them have a little bit of mold on them, so we'll skip over those. I mean, you could use the case if you need it in a pinch, but you just have to trim out and there's more waste than you need. So might look for somewhere else to get those. Now we'll move on to the dry goods. Now this list is on your iPhone. How did you make this list? Um, we just do inventory periodically through the week. And then uh, we have like a cloud list that's shared with management who picks up groceries. So we can check it off as we go. Um, each person can be updated with what groceries are in stock and whatnot. Now we're on the dry goods side, and what are you looking out for? I'm looking for to-go sauces, but we've been having issues finding those as well. So we'll see what today brings. Has it surprised you what has and hasn't been available in the pandemic? I think nothing surprises me now. Better to just stock up on everything that you can. But that's expensive. It is, and fortunately we're in a position to do it, but I just, it keeps us uh, always having product in stock and not running out of certain entrees or appetizers. So it takes a lot of effort and storage space to do that. It looks like we scored the last two boxes of uh, Sriracha packets, so that's good news. The soy sauce packets are out. Oh, the soy sauce packets I know well from Chinese takeout. <laughs> yes, very popular. Still hard supply issue on those. Um, all right, we'll move on to some more dry goods. Uh, I might go this way, it might be faster. You guys know where the sugar is? Ah, uh, okay, perfect, thank you. What's the sugar for? Oh, uh, we use sugar for everything. There's, you know, seasonings desserts. Ryan's careful to load the long, skinny shopping carts so that all the barcodes face one direction. Saves the cashier time, saves him time. $5.95.59. He walks out with a cart full of stuff and a receipt so long it looks like a scroll. What are you noticing about these prices? Uh, I just noticed garlic is very, very expensive. <laughs> looks like uh, like 121 for a case. Usually that's in the 60 or $70 range. It's just fluctuating with, you know, supply and demand. Um, but some of the other items are a little bit, you know, cheaper than usual. Sugar is down. So it's kind of a balance of things. You just keep an eye on the pricing as it goes up and down. must be like Tetris, putting all of this in the back of your SUV. Absolutely. It's definitely a 
kind of something you learn how to stack things and where to put them, but I kind of make a cut in the middle of the car and then I say, okay, one place I'll load it all on that side of the car and then I'll leave the other space for the next place. And then usually it works out. Where are we headed next? Uh, we're headed to Business Costco. So they have some dry goods and some to-go boxes and things that we use. What do you mean Business Costco? There's a secret Costco? Yes, there is. Uh, if you have a Costco membership, you can get in. It, it's just uh, they have more business-oriented product, large quantities of produce and things that restaurants would use or like cleaning supplies for offices and things like that. Sarah, did you know about Business Costco? No. Was it busy? Oh, good. Looks like it's not too busy yet at Costco, so that means we'll be able to fly through the aisles pretty quickly. Sometimes when uh, the word gets out that toilet paper is short, then you start seeing the whole parking lot full, and then it takes twice as long to get all your stuff. <laughs> Ryan heads inside. I stay outside to confab with our photographer, Hart Van Denberg, Tons of photos from our day in the life, by the way, at CPR.org. And our story continues after a break, as Ryan Anderson presses on with his hunt for ingredients and supplies. We'll ask how the pandemic has changed the takeout versus dine-in equation. This is a day in the life of a restaurant on Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. It's Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. The restaurant business is grueling, even more so in the pandemic. And that's if a restaurant even survives. Zomo Asian and American Eatery in Englewood has made it. They mostly serve dinner plus brunch on the weekends. But the owners, including Ryan Anderson, are up and at them long before customers walk in. Before the break, Ryan had just run into business Costco. What'd you pick up? Uh, let's see here. We've got some onions, some to-go product. Yeah, um, tell me about the to-go product. So we try our hardest to use like eco-friendly recyclable to-go products. They carry those here. They For a couple months, they were out of stock, but um, I just had to source some cane sugar products. But I think these ones are from recycled corn. But yeah, we try and use much recyclable as we can we have like recyclable fuzz spoons and cutlery and almost all of our boxes so we try as best as we can to use those i imagine takeout boxes are really important right now just because so many people are ordering out oh yeah there was a really large shortage uh, at the very beginning of the pandemic for to-go products then they kind of leveled out uh, i think they were able to get drivers and then at the beginning of the summer, when they started opening things back up again, I think people were starting to become more adventurous. And that's when all the to-go products were gone. Like, you, you barely could get anything. It was really bad. And so, uh, luckily, I had some backup stock, and we were able to get through it without sacrificing our product. But very difficult to find to-go products. What percentage of your business is to-go versus dine-in? Um, I think right now... It's somewhere between 10 and 20 percent, yeah, is our to-goes. It depends as well, like as we're moving into our colder months, I would say the percentage of takeout orders becomes higher 
you know, maybe closer to the 25% mark or the 30% mark. Partly because your patio's closed. Right, patio's closed, the dining room becomes full really quickly, and then people are like, well, I'll just get takeout, that's fine. Where are we headed next? Uh, we're headed to Shamrock uh, Food Service Warehouse. So another kind of restaurant-oriented warehouse, uh, large quantities of produce and meats and things, but it actually is open to the public rather than Restaurant Depot where that's you have to have a resale license and, to get in there and get your stuff. And what are you going to be looking for at Shamrock? I'm trying to substitute the products that Restaurant Depot was out of stock on, so we'll see. I mean, a lot of times you end up seeing similar product shortages, right? If, if Restaurant Depot is out of broccoli, then it could be possible that Shamrock is out of broccoli and whatever giant broccoli truck is driving from California is probably stopped or delayed or whatever. <laughs> Getting to tag along on this grocery run is such an eye-opener to the supply chain that gets a farmer's vegetables to a diner's table. By the end of the morning, Ryan has picked up cabbage from Texas, oranges, and yes, broccoli from California. The trip to Shamrock is fruitful, no pun intended. Uh, turns out they are hiring as well, just like Restaurant Depot. Okay. Where are we headed next, and do you have enough room? It's always a risky question. I mean, it's also risky because you're here, so usually I have a driver's seat. I can add extra stuff, but... Oh, you can put some broccoli on my lap if you need to. (laughs) Yeah, that might be the case, so we'll see. But we're headed to New Saigon Market. It's like a local, family-owned Asian market. So, And what will you get there? Uh, We have some of our Asian produce uh, that's not really available from any other suppliers. So we'll grab some of that and then some special seasonings if they have them in stock like their star anise or cinnamon uh, coriander seed they have some herbs that are only really like vietnamese like rau rum which is like a vietnamese coriander and thai chilies we also get like our asian fruits from there so like jackfruit or yellow mangoes papayas green papayas Put your seatbelt on, Ryan. (laughs) I'm getting too distracted thinking about the story. The markets at Federal and Alameda in Denver. Produce boxes are stacked sky high at the entrance. Ryan charges inside and, in Vietnamese, places an order. Uh, I like to try and order in Vietnamese just uh, so that because I, I, I'm still learning the language, so they can correct me if something's wrong or um, it feels a little bit more genuine. I think, I think they kind of laugh at some of my pronunciation, but I'm trying to learn it. So I think some of the other like uh, customers, they're like, whoa, he, he speaks some of the language. So I, I, I try my best. What are you holding? Uh, boba, tapioca. It's been very difficult to find, so luckily they have it in stock. Ryan shares with me that he's half American, half Chinese. In Colorado, he was one of the only Asian kids in his class. It was a significant transition, um, you know, from growing up in Seattle, where there is a large Asian population. And so when I got here, like, 
I was the only one in my elementary classroom that was Asian. And maybe like in the same grade, there might be been one other, you know, person of Asian descent, but it was a little bit of a transition. I, you know, making friends was a little difficult for me, but I didn't have any negative interactions with, with other kids or anything like that. Ryan Anderson is co-owner of Zomo, Asian and American eatery in Englewood, south of Denver. When we come back, our final grocery stop, then it's on to the restaurant to unload, where we also meet the kitchen staff, many of them Vietnamese immigrants who bring decades of culinary experience. This is a day in the life of a restaurant on Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. You're back with Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner, and my co-host today is business reporter at CPR, Sarah Mulholland. Hi again, Sarah. Hey, Ryan. Together, you and I spent a day seeing what it takes to run a restaurant in a pandemic. The restaurant is Zomo Asian and American Eatery, just south of Denver. The owners are a couple, Ryan Anderson and Alicia Davey. Alicia's Vietnamese-American grandmother, Chi, is the culinary brains and inspiration. Before the break, Ryan and I were on the morning grocery run. Ryan's SUV is brimming with produce and supplies. It's just after 9 a.m. We've already been at it for two hours. And we head for the restaurant, Zomo, on Broadway. We opened in May of 2019. So, not too long, and we got, we had, we were very lucky we had... Um, you know, six or seven months there to build a customer base before COVID hit. And they really helped us get through, you know, with just takeouts and we survived, thank goodness. But um, yeah, we were very fortunate. We had time to develop a sort of customer base because if we would have opened, you know, later in the year, like December, and we were still trying to get our bearings and then COVID hit, we would... That would be a really tricky situation. And there were restaurants like that, and I feel so terrible for them. It's a real struggle, you know. You have really hard time finding labor. The price of goods has gone way up, and there's shortages. So there's just so many struggles. It's a, it's a really difficult industry to be in. I, I, like, just from, you know, hearing conversations at some of the supply places, there's there's industry uh, seniors that are just getting out of the business. It's just too difficult to juggle all the, all the different problems. The pandemic's been brutal for restaurants. The Colorado Restaurant Association says the industry here lost $3 billion last year. Now they're mostly back open, but struggle to hire enough workers. A lot of places had to cut back on hours or trim their menus because they just can't find the staff to operate at full capacity. When you look at the data, a record number of people are quitting their jobs in the U.S., and that's really pronounced in hospitality. Zomo's been pretty lucky when it comes to staffing, but they're not immune. Here's a little bit from Alicia on people leaving for other opportunities. I feel like COVID kind of rushed all of that where they're like I'm going to take that jump into that new career now because the industry is kind of falling apart or we don't know what's going on so we have one girl she's starting her nursing program this week and so as amazing as that is like she's going to be the most amazing nurse because she's a great server and she's so good at customer service that her nursing is going to be like the best but 
it, it rushed it for us where now we're like, well, now we have to hire because she's moving on to another career. And as happy as we are for her, it's, it's also kind of bittersweet because she's been here since we opened and kind of got us through that hump of what the shutdowns were. Ryan told me the restaurant is profitable, although there were months of losses early in the pandemic. And Alicia told me they did get pandemic aid from the federal government, two rounds of those PPP loans to make payroll. Ryan actually studied engineering, which came in handy as they designed Zomo, the kitchen, the dining room. And financially, it helps that the family owns the building. Ryan backs into the parking lot behind the restaurant, starts to unload. Shallots tumble out of a flimsy box. A repairman waits. Yeah, we've been struggling with a heating issue that I've kind of been trying to diagnose, and he's helping me out and get it all fixed up. Heating like of the building? Uh, Yeah, just the kitchen specifically. Just more problems and issues and part of the day-to-day. The day-to-day is not just cooking. No, no, you got staffing, supply, and then maintenance or issues with things, upkeep. Definitely keeps you busy. I've got a list on my phone that's like, I don't know if I'll ever get to. It just keeps growing and I can't keep up. I'll knock a couple things off and then it'll just, I'll get more things added. Even as he tends to the repairman, Ryan unloads the morning's bounty, placing boxes on a dolly, then clod-hopping with it downstairs to Zomo's generous basement. As we've heard, this storage space is a lifesaver. It means there's room to stock up on staples when they can find them. The notion of you taking this dolly up and down the stairs (laughs) seems absurd. Yeah, you know, I... uh... I actually just recently decided to start using the dolly because I was like, man, I'm just going up and down the stairs. Like, I would just do like two or two cases at a time or something. I was like, oh man, this is actually starting to wear me down. I'm getting like, you know, dehydrated and like tired. So then I was like, oh, I'll just get a dolly. It's actually helped quite a bit. Ryan, I didn't get down there. What did you see? Immaculately stacked shelves of everything a bar and restaurant would need and labels to keep everything in order. Bourbon, gin, Hennessy, triple sec, tampons, vinegar, vegetarian soup base, coconut-flavored soda, mango nectar, jasmine rice... There are perishables to store as well in the walk-in refrigerator upstairs. It smells divine of herbs and sauces. Clear containers of meat await a chef's touch. Really tight quarters in here, so we have to do some rearranging in order to get in here to stock the fridge. So that was one of my downfalls in my design of the restaurant was too small of a fridge, but... The upside of that is really fresh ingredients. So you run out and then you gotta get it the next day. Okay. Well, like this is what I had delivered already. I put away most of it last night when I was here, so I'm just kind of getting it out of the way so I can make room. As Ryan stocks stuff away, 
Grandma Chi arrives. It's just before 11 a.m. She has picked up some of the kitchen staff. It's just a thing she does. And like her, they are immigrants from Vietnam, including Yen Ti Vu, who lives here in Englewood. We speak through our interpreter. What is she doing? She is making wonton. Jalapeno wontons with cream cheese and crab. The menu says they're hand-pinched. We can now testify to that fact. And I can attest that they are very popular. It seems like every table had an order at dinner. She must make tons of wontons a day. If she's comfortable, if she could tell me a little bit of her, her background, her life story, I'd be interested. Okay. Uh, uh, she from a town called Red Yeah, Vietnam. Okay. And then uh, she came here in 2008. Uh, and then she had worked with many restaurants before since she moved here. And she also worked in restaurants when she was in Vietnam. What brought her to the United States? Lý do nào để cô đến với nước Mỹ? Tại vì ba má bảo lãnh. Tôi muốn đoàn tụ với gia đình, với ba má, với anh em. Uh, her family is here, and she would like to come to the U.S. to be reunited with her parents, sibling, and family. And how did they wind up here? Đến nước Mỹ từ hồi nào? Lý do nào họ tới nước Mỹ? Ba ba thì đi vượt biên, rồi bảo lãnh mẹ. So her dad uh, uh, go to the U.S. through boat. Uh, that's kind of like the Vietnamese story back then. And the then, Vietnamese boat people. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, when her dad is here, he uh, doing the paperwork to help his uh, his wife, which is her mom, to come over here, and eventually her sibling and then her. How has the pandemic been for her? Cái mùa dịch này, cô cảm thấy thế nào? Lo sợ lúc đầu, nhưng bây giờ thì bình tĩnh lại rồi cũng chích người đầy đủ, cho nên không còn sợ nhiều nữa. She said at first it was very worried when the pandemic started. But now she's a little bit uh, feeling a little bit better now that she is fully vaccinated. Why does she work in restaurants? What is her relationship with food? So she shared that she actually a restaurant owner in Vietnam, and then uh, she just uh, came to love the career. Uh, you know, she was in school, and then as she grew up. She needed a career to survive, and uh, restaurant work just happened uh, to happen for her, and she really loved it and keep doing it until now. Vu mentioned the vaccine. The whole staff is vaccinated, according to Alicia, who says she hunted down doses for her workers as soon as they were eligible. Okay, when we come back, the doors open for dinner. We meet the first customers of the day, regulars, and hear about some of the complaints customers have had in the pandemic. It's not about the food, by the way. This is a day in the life of a restaurant on Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. You're with Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. I'm Sarah Mulholland. We're at an Asian-American restaurant today in Englewood, Zomo. Co-owners Alicia Davey and Ryan Anderson let us peer into a day in their lives. After six hours of kitchen prep, it's time to set up the tables and open for dinner. The first customers in the door are Greg and Kendra Alvarado. They come to Zomo a couple times a month and always sit at the bar. So what are you guys starting with there? These are the wontons. 
Jalapeno. Cream cheese. Cream cheese, right? Yeah. With this sauce is the sweet and sour. This is really killer. This is what I love. The Alvarados hunkered down in the early days of the pandemic, but they've felt safer since getting vaccinated. Keep in mind, we met them before the Omicron variant came along, but cases were up. So has that made you a little more nervous about going out lately? Yeah, for sure. We've definitely thought about it. So we feel really safe here. That's why we come early, too. We always come early. We always come early. Yep, so it's not crowded. And Sun Win is behind the bar pouring their drinks. In case it's not clear yet that this is a real family-run operation, Sun is Alicia's brother. Right? Seriously. <laughs> So, Ryan, Zomo's the kind of place where staff really gets to know the regulars. In fact, Sun's going to stay with the Alvarados at their place in Mexico for a few days this winter. Oh, cool. He met them at the bar. Quite a connection. Yeah, they've got a really loyal crowd. Still, they did run into the kinds of things you've probably heard about when it comes to customers who don't like COVID protocols. I got to sit with Ryan and Alicia before the dinner rush, and they explained some of the issues they've had. We did a kind of an introduction at the table, like, hi, my name is yada yada. Just so you know, we're taking some extra steps for sanitation, so service is a little bit slower. And we actually had really negative feedback on receipts that customers would write and say, you made me uncomfortable at the start of dinner. And so we added me as a team again and say, are we going to stop doing this? Because we don't want to make customers uncomfortable. And then I found that it was more and more comments were coming on the receipts of like, your masks make me uncomfortable or, and it was just kind of a, I don't know. That's why as a team, we decided if one person wants to wear a mask, we're all going to continue to wear a mask. Gosh, Sarah, a picture of the balance they have to strike between keeping customers safe and keeping them happy. Yeah. And it's not just COVID protocols. Customers can be unforgiving when it comes to other issues the pandemic created. There's apparently a glass shortage. So oh my gosh. we have water pitchers that we put on the table and that's something that we've had to stop doing in recent weeks because they break and we can't replace them. And so the customers are like, you're just becoming lazy or in- inconsistent. And we're like, no, we literally just can't get them. What a thing to notice. Oh, and it's not just the pitchers, it's wine glasses too. Because I don't want to do mismatched at the table because then it looks like the volume is different. Right. And so we've had to replace our wine glasses and our rocks glasses because I can't get replacements and there weren't enough to get through a dinner service. Right. And we just had to buy a bunch of water pitchers from auction. Like, I know, we were so lucky to get yeah, them. Yeah, we were auction. so lucky. Like they, we've been. They're discontinued until sometime December 2022. Things really started to pick up a little before six. The bar is full. The kitchen is hopping. There are bowls of hot pho whizzing around the corner. I went to check things out in the kitchen, and Alicia and Ryan's six-month-old son, Carden, was hanging out. He's learning the family business early. He's fit right in. He gets passed around with all the grandmas. He's pretty comfortable here, clearly. Yes. Oh, yeah. Clearly he is the little prince of the manor. Yeah, absolutely. He owns the kitchen. Everyone knows. Like, everyone watches out for him, too. He has, like, a little, um, we call it his baby office, and it's a little activity center that he stands in. And, oh, hi. Can you say hello? Hey. Hey, hi. But everyone watches out for his activity center, wherever it is. Um, they're like, oh, baby's out tonight. 
baby's working in his office. Yeah. <laughs> and he just smiles so much that they, the cooks, uh, they all call him the morale booster because he comes out and he's just so smiley all the time. That's his most recent noise. <laughs> Alicia bounces back and forth between the kitchen and front of house, where she chats up the regulars. Merlin got the meatloaf, which is grandma's. That's the first dish she learned to cook in the States. It's so. legit. <laughs> it's actually, like, I, actually, I think it's the first dish I've had from you guys. Really? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I've, so been, I've been through the menu at least twice. At least twice. <laughs> it sounds like Alicia really thrives on the customer service. Totally. Alicia is the social butterfly of the operation. I very rarely hear anything negative, so that's good. <laughs> there are some nights that I hear more. You know, when um, food takes a long time, that's when I come out and put out fires, you know, is what they call it. But earlier in the pandemic, she spent a lot of time in the back filling takeout orders for a few reasons. I used to make it to every single table and to ask how dinner was. And with the shutdowns, I didn't see anyone. So I kind of got to know people by their orders in the yeah, back. you were also pregnant, too. Right. And, <laughs> right. And so it's, yeah, I'm a roller coaster. But now that I'm on the floor again, I'm getting to see these people. And I'm like, oh, this is the face. So it's kind of the opposite of what it was before, where I'd get to know the person and then I'd see their takeouts. But now it's... It's really kind of unique. And I think that's really perplexing for people when I go up to them and I'm like, oh, this was your order. I, I bagged it like a dozen times. <laughs> that one always makes me laugh. <laughs> I wonder, do Alicia and Ryan help out with the cooking at all? They do if they're short-staffed in the kitchen. And Ryan, they've developed a unique measuring system. Well, Grandma and I have the same size hands. So for us, that means measuring is very easy. Uh, for me, at least, uh, Ryan had to figure out what Grandma's palm was, what her, <laughs> you know, what her finger length was, just so he could figure out how she measures things. Yeah. But I almost joke that you have to have the same size hand as her to cook in the kitchen. <laughs> By the time I left, around 7:30, the place was packed. And it didn't look like business would slow down anytime soon. Our photographer, Hart, was there at closing time, 9 o'clock. And for Alicia and Ryan, that's a long day with a six-month-old in tow. Speaking of, did Ryan ever get that nap in between our morning grocery run and the start of dinner service? Nope. Oh, I mean, when I think of the labor shortage, the supply shortage, the early mornings, the driving around, the lifting, the toting, Sir, I don't think I'd survive a week in this business. And it made me wonder if Ryan ever regrets getting into it. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a love-hate relationship. I would say it's similar to, like, you know, every job, right? There's days that are great. Things go smoothly. Customers are happy. Mistakes aren't made. And it's, it's a great day. It's super enjoyable. It's fulfilling. There's... You just love putting smiles on people's faces, you know, hearing the comments like this is the best food, you know, and being able to tell the grandmas in the back, you know, relay that information like that's super rewarding. Right. And there's days when, you know, 
you make mistakes, you know, or you're understaffed or somebody calls out and you really have to work hard and it's a really hard day. But, you know, at the end of it, you just push on and you hope that there's more good days than bad. I don't have any regrets. I think that some days I wonder what it would be like to work a regular nine to five, but I'm enjoying all the constant change and challenge. A long, long day in the life of a restaurant in a pandemic at Zomo Asian and American Eatery in Englewood, just south of Denver. There are tons of pictures from our day at CPR.org. Finally today, a high-rise apartment building proposed for downtown Colorado Springs would be the city's tallest structure. It could also be the start of a new era in a city known for sprawling out rather than building up. But not everyone thinks it's a good idea. Here's CPR's Dan Boyce. It's December's first Friday art walk downtown. No snow falling in Colorado Springs. Still, it feels like a festive night and a vibrant one. The sidewalks are crowded with couples, vendors are selling cider. It's bustling. In some ways, it feels like a different downtown Colorado Springs than in the past. Hey, uh, ice skating guy, you wanna be on the radio? Sure. And they opened the ice rink at Acacia Park. That's pretty sweet. 24-year-old Joseph Kristoff was born here and then moved back two years ago. And downtown, it is a different place. My mom came out for Christmas last year to see me and she was blown away, you know, by the, the mad boom that happened, she calls it, so. In the last, call it 18, 24 months, we've seen more change than we saw in the previous 30 years. That's commercial real estate agent Gary Pfeffer talking about development downtown in particular. And so much of that construction is apartments complexes popping up here and there. He says there hasn't really been any of that kind of development for 50 years. So now you have 2,000, 2,500 units being built, but you need to keep in mind and put in perspective where our base was before it started, which was zero. And that was just kind of the culture in downtown Colorado Springs for generations. In a word, sleepy. To understand the debate about this proposal for the city's tallest building, you need to understand that a sleepy downtown is exactly what many Colorado Springs residents want. I have received 20 emails from my constituents that are outraged. That's city council member Tom Strand speaking during a meeting of the city's urban renewal authority in late October, shortly after the project was announced. And the thing they're outraged about is the height of the building and begging me not to make Colorado Springs Denver too. This proposed apartment tower would stand 25 stories high, nine stories more than the current tallest building in Colorado Springs, the Wells Fargo building, at 247 feet. Opponents of the new skyscraper say what makes this place special is the natural splendor, not an urban skyline. At the Art Walk, Colorado Springs native Travis Michaels says he gets that. I do think that Pikes Peak is kind of a big landmark. And once you start taking away from that, you know, the view and things like that for most of the residents this year, I think that's a big thing. Kevin O'Neill is CEO of the O'Neill Group, the developer behind the new apartment tower. He's a Springs native too, and he says his growing city is at another nexus point. Should the city just keep sprawling out, 
even though the city's land area is already fully twice as big as Denver city limits, he thinks it's time to look back inward to the downtown and look to building up again. It changes the community. It changes the conversation. Can we bring in headquartered companies? Can we start to build other types of buildings downtown? He says the concerns about blocking views are overblown. Even though his apartment building would be nine stories taller than Wells Fargo, apartment ceilings are just a lot lower than office ceilings. So the O'Neill Group Tower would only be the tallest building by about 26 feet. And it would only be about a third the height of Denver's tallest building, Republic Plaza, which is more than 700 feet tall. One apartment complex will not make us Denver. Ten won't make us Denver. The reality is, do we want to be a bedroom community to Denver? And I don't want to be a bedroom community. The O'Neill Group hopes to break ground in the spring with an expected completion date of summer 2024. Back at the First Friday Art Walk, Dominique Hathaway has brought a couple little ones to the ice rink. First time for these little guys. She's lived here her whole life. And as far as this heated debate about the skyscraper and all this new downtown development, she seems to just be taking a pragmatic approach. It's okay. I don't really like heavy traffic, but it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> In Colorado Springs, Dan Boyce. CPR News. And that is Colorado Matters for today with special thanks to Patrice Mondragon, Sarah Buras, and Carl Bielek, who all contributed to our day in the life of a restaurant. I'm Ryan Warner. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. Cheers! Cheers!